Welcome to In the Oil Patch, presented by Shale Magazine, broadcasting from the Oilfield Expert Studios. Oilfield Experts, where you get the right products right now. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch. Now it's time for me to welcome all my guests to our show, Todd Staples, who is the president of the Texas Oil and Gas Association. Commissioner Staples, welcome to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. Kim, it's so good to be with you and get to visit today. Well, this is the first time having you on our show, so we're really excited to bring forth your organization, what you guys are doing there, and also excited to talk about the ending of this past 80th legislative session here in Texas. And, and hopefully you can break down the, the good things that happen for oil and gas, the wins, what you had hoped to get through that maybe we'll get accomplished next session. But let's start real quick, Commissioner Staples, with your background. You, you have been, I'm calling you Commissioner Staples, because you've been a legislator yourself in the past. Can you talk to us, tell us a little bit about your background and how you came to be the president of the Texas Oil and Gas Association? Sure, Kim. Thank you. It's been a, an honor to have the privilege to serve in public office in different parts of my career. Uh, most recently, I was twice elected statewide as Texas Commissioner of Agriculture. Love promoting Texas, uh, working on issues to advance our state uh, in our nation and globally as well. I did serve three terms as a member of the Texas Senate and uh, three terms as a member of the Texas House and served on my local city council of Palestine, Texas before that. And so public service is something I think each of us should do, whether it's an elected office or just giving back in some way. And it's been an honor to serve our state. And uh, I'm privileged now to serve as president of the Texas Oil and Gas Association. Texoga is what we call it. Texoga is our state's oldest and largest oil and gas trade association. Kim, we represent every facet of the industry from up our dynamic upstream production that's leading the nation uh, to uh, midstream to Texas being home to about uh, almost a third of our state's refining capacity. And so working with these different sectors to be a voice for oil and gas is, is a real uh, pleasure and privilege. Well, Commissioner Staples, let's, let's drill down a little bit more because your organization is a vital key to keeping the oil and gas industry uh, productive here in our state. Uh, the state's uh, coffers, better uh, or the rainy day fund, better known as the Economic Stabilization Fund, it's a really critical part. Uh, and we need to keep that here in Texas. This is my opinion, because I know how much of that money really goes to help schools and roads, first responders. So I want to drill down on, first of all, the the background of this fund and how our legislators, um, when when session starts, we're on the 88th, we just conducted or closed that one. Tell us how important that rainy day fund is to every Texan and why oil and gas is so vital to our state and making sure that when we go to those polls and elect our elected officials, we really need to focus on do they have solid energy policies that make sense for our great state. So start with telling us about the jobs, this rainy day fund, and how it benefits our lives. Kim, that's a great 
question to inform all Texans about the continued importance of oil and natural gas. You know, the, the economy of Texas is more diverse today than it's ever been in our state's history. But even so, oil and gas is still the real heart and soul and heartbeat of, of our state's economy. Uh, oil and gas uh, last year contributed $24.7 billion in state and local taxes and state royalties. These are dollars that are used to fund our schools, our universities, our roads, and our first responders. And there are several funds that are funded by oil and gas. You mentioned the, the Rainy Day Fund, our state's economic stabilization fund in the late 80s. The state determined that uh, money over a certain amount would be uh, placed into this economic stabilization fund that the legislature could use in emergencies. Well, over the period of years, uh, billions and billions of dollars have been used for very important purposes like state hospitals, our mental health facilities, teacher pay raises, water development funds. Uh, these are a few examples of that rainy day fund. But the state's taxes, the, the oil and gas taxes that are paid to the state also goes to our state highway fund. And the highway fund is what builds our roads. And that's from oil and gas revenues. And then we have oil and gas revenues that go to the general fund of the state of Texas, in addition to the state's permanent university fund that is split up between uh, uh, two of our state's universities. And then we have this permanent school fund where royalties that are produced on state funds goes into. And so when you look at it, uh, economists indicate that Texas is still about 30% uh, of our entire private sector gross state product, which is an amazing thing when you consider, you know, how our state has diversified over the years that we're still that much a part of our state's um, economic backbone. Well, you know, thank you for, for breaking that down because our show is syndicated. So it airs in many different areas uh, in the United States and specifically in other shell plays that they're not quite set up like Texas. So some of the, the, the areas we air in are near the Marcella Shell, Oklahoma, Louisiana, Hobbs, New Mexico. And, and they're not quite set up the same way as Texas uh, in the sense of using the Economic Stabilization Fund. But Texas is unique that before the legislators can start even passing bills, they have to pass and balance our budget. Can you explain that? Because the differences between the listeners that are listening in another state, not that you, they really can change anything, but it also though does help them see the differences and the benefit of having, you know, maybe potentially great legislators looking at the stabilization fund or possibly understanding what the great state of Texas has to offer if somebody wants to move to Texas because we have a great economy here because a lot in part of the oil and gas industry. Well, one of the things, Kim, that makes Texas so unique is that our legislature only meets for regular sessions every other year. And then in, on an every other year cycle, they only meet for 140 days over that two-year period. A lot of Texans think that we'd be better off if the legislature met for two days every 140 years, and they think their lives would be better. Uh, but because we only meet every other year, uh, it forces the legislature to plan ahead a little bit more than some states may do otherwise. And you have a more uh, conservative budget because you have to plan for a two-year cycle. You can't go in and make changes. And I think that is something that's very unique. Our economic stabilization fund, Rainy Day Fund, is funded solely from oil and gas severance taxes. 
that exceed um, a level that was established like in 1988. And so having that is a fantastic resource. The, the state legislature uh, has cannot exceed the rate of growth. And so you have a legislative budget board that meets at the beginning of every session. They establish that uh, rate of growth that cannot be exceeded. Uh, they uh, must, by law, have a, a balanced budget before the budget that's passed by the legislature can go to the governor and be signed. Our comptroller has to balance that budget and certify it as a balanced budget, meaning that all the dollars that the legislature plan to spend over the next two years uh, will be received through a revenue stream that's forecasted for that same two-year period. And so it, 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 it requires us to uh, be a pay-as-you-go state on many things, and uh, that's been proven to be uh, very successful. And there's been legislation this session that has helped uh, to, will help to attract more businesses and jobs and investment to Texas as well, we believe. You know, it's it's really important because Prior to me coming to this job that I've been in focusing on energy, I was uh, in the nonprofit world in, in executive management. And I remember when Governor Perry was um, our governor and we the comptroller, which does happen, had some numbers incorrectly. And it really caused a problem uh, when Governor Perry required a 20% budget cut across all of the state agencies. And where it became a problem was when the citizens started to realize that the very programs that they utilized and needed um, were not there anymore as a result of that. There was a hiring freeze on teachers and on law enforcement um, services that we, our elderly enjoyed were also uh, disconnected. And it had a really bad effect on the state. And you know, the crazy thing is, was back then I was in the lobbying efforts in the nonprofit world and within a very short period of time, the state's coffers were refilled again. This is a true story. And, and I went to our lobbyist who at the time was Harold Oliver and said, what caused this? And he said, I don't know. He said, there's something going out on the south side of town near San Antonio between Corpus. It's called something like Eagle Ford Shale. Immediately, it opened my eyes to the benefit of oil and gas. And we need to really think about that. But let's switch gears. Commissioner Staple and talk to me about the jobs that are produced. And then we will, I promise, get into session and we'll get into DC politics as well. So tell me uh, quickly about the jobs that oil and gas produces for this state. Uh, you know, because oil and gas is so robust and you don't have to live in the middle of all of the oil patch to benefit directly from the activity of oil and gas in Texas, it has a an outsized influence on our state's economy. Just the direct employment, people that actually get a direct paycheck, Kim, from being involved in oil and gas, last year was about 443,000 Texans. And when you do the multiplier effect on that, it's anywhere from 1.5 to 2 million people uh, or have a direct or indirect job because of oil and natural gas in our state. Uh, the pay for jobs exceeds the average pay uh, that uh, Texas has. The taxes that are paid by oil and gas exceeds all other industries that are paid. And so when you look at the jobs, you look at the, uh, the, the taxes paid to local and state governments and our schools, um, oil and gas really does drive the Texas economy. And I think it will for a long time. You know, we, we, we're about 
We're number one in the nation in oil production. Texas is number one in the nation in natural gas production. Um, we're, we're number one in the nation in refining capacity. We have uh, exporting capabilities up and down the Texas Gulf Coast. Uh, we export not only crude oil, but refined products. Liquefied natural gas is now being exported more and more from Texas as more terminals are brought online. And all of this creates wonderful, life-changing, uh, generational influencing jobs that lifts people out of poverty and gives them opportunities uh, like no place else. And with that, let's take a quick break because I couldn't agree with you more. When we come back, I'm gonna, we're going to jump into this session, the 88th Texas session. You're listening to an Oil Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back. Attention small and medium-sized business owners. Are you feeling overwhelmed with back office tasks like payroll, workers' compensation, federal regulations, safety laws, employment standards, and benefits? Don't worry, Unique HR has your back. For over 30 years, our team of qualified professionals has been providing people-centered solutions to help businesses like yours navigate the heavy burden of running a business and managing their workforce. We're the PEO with a pulse, and we are just a phone call away. Call us today at 361-852-6392. Unique HR, the partner you can trust and we're back you're listening to in the oil patch radio show my guest today is commissioner staples who is the president of the texas oil and gas association well commissioner staples i try very hard to stay on track and not take our inter- whoever i'm interviewing off track but it seems to me i'm glad that that bill passed uh 1017 as you mentioned because we have so many other global issues that we have to look at when we're going to focus and try to limit our energy and what we're going to use when we have supply chain issues globally and we have a potential of China invading Taiwan which would make the situation even worse we don't have enough uh fuel stations electrical charging stations if you will in this state to be pushing these policies and while they sound great uh, I think I love saying I'm an environmentalist. I care about where we live, but there's reasonable and then there's pie in the sky kind of discussions. And, and it just doesn't fit sometimes. We're not saying we may not get there in time. We might, but as of right now, we're not there on all of these things. And we really, these unintended consequences are scary when our legislators, some of them make decisions for us, but they don't really get into thinking into the future. So let's 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 talk let's come back to ERCOT because there was a lot of bills. Can you talk to us tell us about Senate Bill 2627 because your organization focuses around oil and gas. You have independents and you have the majors which I'd love to get into a conversation on how you manage both of these groups. And you do it beautifully by the way. But at the same time you know energy is important, powering the state is important. We have a diverse energy grid as you mentioned. Um, and so Senate Bill 2627, what was it designed to accomplish and how does Texoma feel about a lot of uh, differences that are occurring in the energy transition? Well, a big part of the conversation, Kim, this last session was about uh, the needs for growth in our electricity grid and how does our electricity market need to be designed in order to ensure that we have the available uh, supply of energy to meet a growing population. Texas growth is continued to uh, uh, expected to expand significantly in the next few years. We all still remember the uh, d- terrible effects of winter storm Uri. Uh, the Public Utility Commission of Texas uh, increased some requirements for the PUC. 
um, and, and for our electric generation providers to the power grid that we think will will correct a lot of issues. I'll remind your listeners that uh, oil and natural gas field assets were not eligible to be designated as critical load during URI. And so when, when load shed needed to occur, and what that means is there's not enough power on the grid to meet all the de demand that's there. And so the electric generators and the TDUs, rather, the, the uh, electric utilities were required to shed load so that it would take some people offline. Oil and gas producers were also taken offline, which uh, you know contributed to the natural gas supply chain problem. Uh, but but a lot of that has been fixed. Now we can be designated as critical load during these load shed events. Um, natural gas electric power generators are encouraged to have more firm contracts for firm supply and firm storage of natural gas. And uh, Texas has an abundance of natural gas supply storage. Uh, we are literally feeding the world today for liquefied natural gas. So we have plenty of gas in Texas. It's just planning ahead of time. Many of those steps have been taken. But as you look at our electric redesign, and you mentioned a specific bill, 2627, when you look at URI, we know that Texas has a continued and increased supply of intermittent energy resources. And these intermittent energy resources like wind and solar do drive down the cost of electricity today because they've made advancements. And we all as consumers benefit from that. But we also know that there needs to be an amount of dispatchable power to meet the needs when the wind doesn't blow and the sun doesn't shine. Battery storage is growing rapidly, and we think that technology is going to be uh, beneficial to consumers um, and will be a bigger part of our power supply going forward. But uh, the Senate was very focused, and I believe uh, the Governor Abbott uh, was as well, wanting a more reliable system, and certainly the House agreed that this needs to be done. And so they dedicated some of the budget surplus to use as a loan guarantee and a completion bonus program if you you will put new electric generation capacity online in Texas. And so they created this, I think it ended up being around a 3% interest rate used from the budget surplus uh, that was generated over this past two-year cycle and um, I, I think the goal is to get anywhere between five and 10,000 megawatts of, a, of new capacity built online. So that is a, a big key component of making it more cost effective to uh, build this electric generation. But uh, you also mentioned earlier, Kim, about Texas doesn't need to be reliant on foreign countries for our supply chain. The House and Senate also passed House Bill 5. House Bill 5 would uh, create a limited temporary property tax abatement for specific types of industries to be brought to Texas. But one of those industries would be for new electrical generation that could uh, abate their property taxes for up to 10 years. And that would encourage more electrical generation as well. So there are multiple tools that were developed this past legislative session that would help our electricity supply chain um, uh, to be more strengthened and to have a greater reliability. We think that wind is gonna continue to grow. We think that solar is gonna continue to grow. And we, might, we wanna make certain that there's a, a somewhat of a level playing field legislators did wind and solar have plenty of federal tax incentives today. And so they thought they needed to create some at the state 
uh, level to level that playing field and to make certain we've got that dispatchable, reliable power that can be used when the grid is really strained and under stress. And we know that technology is going to grow, and we think that this system, uh, as long as it maintains a competitive basis, is very important uh, to continue to uh, attract the right type of investment and the right type of electrical power generation here in Texas. Very good. When we come back from break, I want to get back into legislative session and drill down in a few more bills. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to the Old Patch Radio Show. We'll be right back. Hey, when you're in business, you have to make a lot of tough choices. So let's talk about an easy one, your workers' comp coverage. If you're a propane or butane dealer or operator, you need to join the Lone Star Energy Safety Group through Texas Mutual Insurance Company. As a member, you'll automatically get a discount on your premium, plus you can earn double dividends that will go straight into your pocket. It's the easiest decision you'll ever make. Find out more at TexasMutual.com slash Lone Star Energy. Any business can benefit from advertising to the oil and gas industry, but it's really important to partner with a marketing company that has a proven track record with this growing industry. Shale Oil and Gas Business Magazine is the one-stop shop that'll keep you in front of the customers that you need to grow your business. So let's start growing your business in Texas. Email us, info at shalemag.com. Again, that's info at shale, S-H-A-L-E, mag, M-A-G, dot com. Or you can call us. 210-240-7188. Again, that's 210-240-7188. And we're back. You're listening to in the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Commissioner Staples, who is the president of the Texas Oil and Gas Association. Commissioner Staples, we just finished session. It ended back at uh, the ending of May, uh, the 88th session. There was a lot to discuss specifically pertaining to uh, the energy sector and the diversification that seems to be happening here in Texas as well. Your association focuses a lot on oil and gas through education, lobbying efforts to make sure that this great resource stays strong here in Texas. Let's switch gears and talk about uh, Bill 1500. Tell us about that bill and how it connects into the energy grid and the energy sector. In the House Bill 1500 uh, by Representative Justin Holland and by State Senator Charles Quartner was a very key and pivotal piece of legislation. House Bill 1500 was the Public Utility Commission Sunset Bill. In Texas, every piece of legislation has to be renewed or it's sunsetted and goes away. That creates agencies so that it just doesn't continue to perpetuate government without getting a new look at it. And so this was the cycle that the Public Utility Commission, we call the PUC, uh, had to be renewed. And so that, that's called the Sunset Bill. And in that bill, the legislature incorporated many different things uh, to address our grid reliability. And it's very complex and complicated more than you you and I would ever want to get into, but it, it, it <laughs> maybe, maybe we, we can, but we probably don't want to. <laughs> but, but one of the things um, in thinking about House Bill 1500, it ensured that the independent market monitor is still in place. And so if you think about our electric grid in Texas, uh, we, we deregulated about 20, a little over 20 years ago, we went to an energy only market we have electric generators uh, generating electricity. We have retail electric providers that buys that electricity and sells it to residential consumers. And so we have what we call an independent market monitor 
that in addition to the PUC, the IMM looks at to make looks at our system to make certain that there's no uh, adverse market manipulation by players. Uh, they make certain that and give opinions based on the policies that uh, the PUC is contemplating to be adopted. And they look at that in terms of the consumer and how they can benefit. So that's one of the elements in House Bill 1500. Another element in House Bill 1500 that you might have heard a lot about, uh, the PUC adopted a new and untested um, model called the performance credit mechanism called the PCM. And that is designed in their idea in order to pay generators to be available during the critical load hours during the year. Well, the PCM was uh, concerning to consumers, not just the Texas Oil and Gas Association or the Texas Chemical Council and the Texas Association of Manufacturers, but the PCM was of concern to groups like the Sierra Club and Environmental Defense Fund and the AARP because there were no limits on the cost of the PCM and the the cost expectations were in the you know six to fourteen billion dollars depending on how it's implemented. Even though the PUC adopted it, they were going to take the next two years or so and develop the rules in order before it's implemented. And so one of the things that House Bill fifteen hundred did was to put some caps on how the PCM could be administered, and it really put some um, uh, it keeps it keeps the PCM from being an unbridled electricity tax passed on the consumers if the PUC adopts it the way that the legislature intended it to be. So we hope that it'll be a, a big protection for consumers. And that was a big part of House Bill 1500. That sounds important. And yes, how it's implemented is the key. In the last parts of this show, I'm going to switch gears and we're going to go to D.C. and talk about the debt ceiling legislation and energy reform. But I still want to continue to drill down to this past session. You also mentioned um, House Bill 28. Can you talk to us about that bill as well? Sure. You know, the legislature um, has a lot of things to do with the budget surplus. And right now in a special session, because they couldn't, the House and Senate couldn't agree on what type of tax relief they wanted to pass. Governor Abbott has put just driving down the tax rate on the um, special session call. And so they're going to use most of the money to give it back to taxpayers, which is good for the economy. It's good for taxpayers and it's good for long term growth. But they also use some of that money. And they set aside some to fund state employee pay raises. They have some set aside uh, to give teachers pay raises. They, they're going to have to come back and work on that some more. But one of the things they did was also create a new water supply for Texas fund. They took a couple of billion dollars, I think was the final amount, and put it in a fund that can be used uh, for state programs. So, so this will provide loans uh, to develop or acquire new water resources for Texas. We think this will be a benefit to the oil and gas industry because, you know, a rising tide lifts all ships. We think the better that we, we think the better that um, consumers are have access to water in their local communities that will free up water supplies for Texas. And so we think that's a good use of the money. And I think that will be voted on uh, by uh, by the by the taxpayers themselves in November to actually ratify this fund through a constitutional amendment election in November. Very good. Let's take a quick break. When we return, I want to start uh, discussing legislation that's also changing um, and y'all's stance on where you think the debt seating legislation did it go far enough. You're listening to in the Old Patch Radio Show, and we'll be right back.
And we're back. You're listening to In the Oil Patch Radio Show. My guest today is Commissioner Staples, the president of the Texas Oil and Gas Association. Commissioner Staples, thank you for giving us a quick briefing on uh, the Texas legislation, sorry, Texas session ending the 88th session. Um, But I want to try to move into D.C. Uh, We've had some change. Uh, The debt ceiling legislation passed and it's heading to President Biden's desk for signature. Um, There were some uh, positives in there pertaining to energy, and I'll leave it very large and open energy. It wasn't oil and gas necessarily. However, I think this was what spearheaded it. Um, Last month, we had um, Mike Summers come in and speak at our State of Energy in Corpus. And his point was, or or he spoke to us, but he didn't make it in, unfortunately, because his plane got diverted. But he was talking about the importance of energy reform. Our last a magazine, uh, in Shell Magazine, we actually covered uh, the uh, um, Willow Project out in uh, in Alaska. So let's start with the debt ceiling legislation. Tell us a little bit about that legislation. It had some energy reform in there. What does your group, what do you think is going to happen with uh, President Biden signing the signature? How does it change the energy sector? Yeah, Kim, this is a very important topic. And just to kind of set the record straight, we are all in natural gas. We believe in its future. We know that it has lifted mankind to a new level of prosperity that we would not have been uh, achievable or attainable without it. All in natural gas is used in 96% of the products that we use every single day, like makeups and medicines and tires and uh, you, you know, if sports equipment, everything. everything. You just can't put your finger on anything. Having said that, yeah, we we believe in an all of the above, above energy approach, and we believe that uh, technology will benefit all of us. And technology is making oil and gas uh, having lower profiles of emissions and having a higher energy content. And so I I just wanted to, I thought it was important to say that in discussing energy policy. You know, policy can promote prosperity or hinder it. And when you look at DC, it looks like there's more fighting going on than there is accomplishment. That's the thing that I like working in Texas. I, I will leave DC to everyone else. Mike Summers is a great champion for energy and I appreciate the job that he's doing. Uh, got his hands full. Yeah, he, he does. And and I tell you, Kim, I do my best to stay out of D.C. Uh, having said that, we do watch what goes on there. We we do try to stay in our boundary and work on focus on Texas. But in looking at the recent uh, uh, debt ceiling agreement that was just passed, I know there's been a lot of conversations about that. Some very good people that I respect and like. Uh, you know, had some critical things to say about it. And I'm certain that there were some elements of that that are not uh, good for all Americans. But if you just step back in it, when I think about America, energy security is synonymous with national security. And so we have to have the ability to continue to meet our needs. We look at, at other countries that are in great distress today because they haven't planned appropriately for energy, they have uh, they've become dependent on others for their energy sources, or they view they plan their future on yet unreliable energy sources. And so, when I think about energy at home, I want an energy plan for America. I want us to be focused on how we can use our resources, our citizens, to create wealth and opportunity for every part of America, 
no matter if you're Republican or Democrat or independent, no matter the background or the or the place of your birth, or if you just came to this country recently, I think we want a, an America that can grow and can prosper. And so when I think about the debt ceiling deal, I think about the part of that that would streamline the environmental approval process. Uh, we care deeply about our environment. Our companies are focused on a lower emissions profile and energy security and energy strength that doesn't have to be mutually exclusive. But I know the debt ceiling streamlined the process on our, our NEPA uh, Act, our National Environmental Policy Act, that would get projects approved on a quicker time frame. Now, I don't think it's perfect. I think it can be expedited even more. But I really think that focusing on ensuring that permits uh, can be issued on a timely basis is what we need to be thinking about because dollars can go anywhere in the world today. Uh, investment dollars are very competitive, and we know that other countries are opening up. That's why I'm glad that Texas passed House Bill 5 to attract these projects to Texas to make us competitive. There's no reason in the world that Texas, the ninth largest economy in the world, should be dependent on other countries or other states for our supply chain. And so I think all of that is important, but um, having uh, our environmental policy streamline was a big part of the debt ceiling, and I think that's why it ultimately passed, and that's why you saw a lot of people in the oil and gas industry support that legislation. You know, we had uh, Sarah Week uh, not too long ago come to Houston, and I attended. I had an opportunity to speak to Senator Manchin, a Democrat who was is pretty uh, involved in saying we need energy reform. So he gets it. And, and I agree with you, Commissioner Staple. It isn't about being an RD. It's about finding solid energy policies that work for the United States. And it, we're, we're in a troubling time. If you look at these other countries that really don't have access to good energy policies or even access to energy, they're pop, they, they, their countries are in poverty. And so we're very fortunate here, but we have such a lack of understanding how important energy policy is. What I what I want to try to get you to explain to us is that in the debt ceiling legislation, Manchin was one of the keys that held out because he realized, Senator Manchin, excuse me, that we really needed to at least start the process. Um, and starting the process, meaning, um, you know, we go back to when uh, President Obama, Obama was in office, they wanted to get a piece of legislation through dealing with health care reform. And we were so grateful to get um, the lifting of a 40-year uh, ban on crude. And look at what happened. We had an explosion of shales here and uh, energy production here. So sometimes legislation that we don't like uh, getting passed or it might hurt us a little bit or maybe we have to hold our nose when we sign so does have good a good start that can really lead to something prosperous and um, I'm not sure about the energy reform but I do know that if we're going to look to the future for if you are a fan listening to the show of solar or wind that's great but any future energy program we're going to have or any energy project excuse me that was the word I was looking for it has to begin with some kind of time window. So I want to kind of drill down when we come back from break, specifically like the, the time windows and, and is this meaningful enough to where we can really start looking to the future for some real energy reform and maybe possibly build off of it. Let's take a quick break. You're listening to an old patch radio show. We'll be right back. 
In the oil and gas industries, you don't just need a workers' comp provider. You need a workers' comp provider who understands your business. That's Texas Mutual Insurance Company. At Texas Mutual, they've created the Texas Oil and Gas Association Safety Group exclusively for businesses involved with exploration and production. That means you'll have access to information and safety resources that fit the way you work. But the advantages don't stop there. As a safety group member, you'll receive a premium discount on your workers' comp. Plus, you can qualify for double dividends. You heard that right. Members can earn an additional dividend on top of the one you receive as a policyholder. It's all part of Texas Mutual's commitment to working as a partner with the businesses that keep our state running. Texas Mutual and the Texas Oil and Gas Association, two great organizations that are even better together. To see if you qualify to become a safety group member, go to texasmutual.com slash T-X-O-G-A. And we're back. You're listening to an oil patch radio show. My guest today is Commissioner Staple, who is the president of Texas Oil and Gas Association. Commissioner Staple, before the break, uh, you, we were discussing the recent passage from House and Senate on the debt ceiling legislation. Um, and in it, um, uh, that's heading to President Biden's desk for signature, in it also is some energy reform that might actually give us some time windows of, of, of uh operators or wind solar farm operators that they can go to their investors and say, we'll be through the permitting process and everything within a certain window of time, which wasn't always the case. So explain a little bit more, drill down for us a little bit more, what was specifically in there? What can we expect out of this legislation that will help these projects ensure that we can actually have something valid that we can count on projects? Well, Kim, some of the things that I remember about that legislation that stuck out to me as someone that's had to uh, be responsive and try to help people through these processes, many times there are multiple state agencies or multiple federal agencies, actually, in this case, that have to be consulted prior to your permit getting approved. And so you can be an applicant and just feel like you're just lost in sea going from one island to the next this legislation would designate one agency to be the lead agency so that at least you can have someone work, walk you through the processes. And I think that is an important element to expedite things. Another one that there was a one-year time limit put on environmental assessments. There was a two-year time limit that was put on for environmental impact statements. And so a previous, you know, two years sounds like a long time to you and me, and it is too long for a permit. But previously, I believe they had up to seven years to get some of these things done, which is just like, go do business somewhere else is the real message. Go do business in another country, not here. And so I think regardless of your wind or solar or natural gas, uh, hydro project, whatever it might be, I think these are all positive elements that is a starting point that can be look and see how these are implemented, and then it can be reassessed again to see if there need to be continued improvements. Well, one of the things that I loved that you said was, you know, solid energy policies here in the United States matter. Look at Europe and what they're going through with just, oh, a little invasion from Russia to Ukraine. You know, this is a, this is a global commodity and it has an impact on all of us and things change overnight. That's why I, I, I can't understand how you get through what you get through with having different operators because they might give you a directive that starts, you know, January 1st, but it changes because Russia went and invaded Ukraine. Now what are we doing with our energy policy and, and what we decided in the board meeting? So things change quickly when we talk about energy. But we specifically covered 
the uh, Willow Project for a reason. We wanted to help our readers understand if you don't have energy reform, you kind of get stuck in a ConocoPhillips situation with different administrations coming in and out. Can you briefly tell us about that? Like where you guys were, what was the problem with the Willow Project and why we kind of need to see some energy reform? Well, you know, I think it boils down to the very basics, Kim, of do we want domestic energy supply or do we want to be dependent on foreign countries? And that that really is the basic question that all Americans need to ask themselves. Um, you know, if you like wind and solar, that's great. But every expert and those that are not even experts will tell you, you really do need an all the above energy approach. Oil and gas by necessity must be a part of our energy supply chain for decades and decades and decades into the future. Um, uh, we had a speaker, uh, George Will, uh, at a Texas event a couple of years ago, uh, Kim, and he said, you know, oil was discovered in the 1860s. It wasn't until the 1960s that oil overtook coal as the predominant energy source. And so when we think about energy transition, yes, the energy sources are transitioning, but oil and gas is transitioning to a cleaner, lower emissions profile, and that is a part of our energy future. So to have projects like the Willow Project in Alaska, to be able to develop energy re resources here in America, I saw recently where uh, our federal government is going to restrict oil production near a tribe in New Mexico when the Indian tribe that it's near is actually asking for that development to occur is, is a real shocker to all Americans. And so whether we have oil in Alaska or natural gas in Pennsylvania, uh, you know, our, our export import facilities along the Gulf Coast of America, we need to develop all of these assets. And that means we need to have an energy plan for America. What we've seen the last few years is a whack-a-mole energy plan to where you just jump up and, oh, let's release the Strategic Petroleum Reserve. Oh, let's stop, you know, production in Alaska. Oh, let's open production in Alaska. Oh, let's stop a pipeline. Oh, wait a minute, let's go ahead and build a pipeline. We need certainty on our energy policy and we need goals. And our goal needs to be fundamentally to protect Americans, protect the energy sources that they need, and that we can do that and meet the needs of our environment all at the same time. Oil and natural gas companies invest billions and billions of dollars in technology and protecting our air quality and protecting our water quality. And we're all living much better because of that. We have job opportunities like never before in this country. And we all know that the best solution to poverty is a job. And that's what we want to make available. And we do that by, first of all, having a, a, an energy source and an energy plan that recognizes let's develop what we have in America. And I'm glad to see the opening of, uh, of uh, the resources in Alaska because that benefits everyone. Well, let's switch gears at the last part of the show and talk about something that really doesn't apply to our show, but we're talking about session and it has ended. And now we look like we might be going on to an extended property taxes. Commissioner uh, Staples, please give us a quick outline on what has happened with property taxes or what do you think is going to happen with it? We need relief. <laughs> Well, we do. Our property taxes in Texas, I think, are the, like the sixth highest in the nation. We've got a good court system. We we do have a good permitting system here in Texas, and we continuously look for ways to refine it and to make it more user-friendly. Uh, in fact, uh, the TCEQ, which is our state's environmental agency, was also just reauthorized this last session, Kim. And part of that reauthorization was to make it a more transparent process. And it was also to, um, if you don't operate by the rules, there's gonna be stiffer penalties that you have to pay. And industry was supportive of that because it's a fair and right approach when there's a due process system. But when it comes down to it, 
property taxes are high on businesses, they're high on residential homeowners. And so the House and Senate both fought vigorously over this last legislative session to address that in their different ways. They ultimately couldn't agree on the best solution, but Governor Abbott has called them back in what we call a special session of the legislature that can only be 30 days in length. And he has specifically said, I want the House and Senate just to drive down property tax rates. That benefits all property taxpayers uniformly. It is a very equitable way of delivering that uh, relief. And it, it helps residences and it helps businesses. And it sets the platform that as Texas grows and our needs grow, all of our taxpayers are going to be in this together. And I think that's the real signal. And that's unique about Texas that's made us strong. We haven't pitted different taxes, uh, different classes of taxpayers against one another. And we're working toward what can be good, solid policy. And I believe the Senate and the House both uh, believe that rate compression is important. And we're hoping that they will agree with Governor Abbott and pass this and move Texas forward and get those tax dollars back in the hands of taxpayers. Thank you so much for coming and talking to us. I would like to encourage our listeners to go to your website, and it's txoga.org, or you can just Google Texas Oil and Gas Association because you have a lot of great literature on your website. It kind of, I think it will help our listeners understand more about the revenue that is give, that is rate or permitting process and taxes and royalty right or royalties that are being paid to the state that help raise all this money for the state. You have a lot of great literature. Anybody who's interested in uh, learning more about oil and gas, go visit txoga.org. And we look forward to having you back on our show. Thank you, Kim. It's great to be with you. Look forward to the same. In the Oil Patch is where, together, we explore topics that affect us all in oil, gas, business, and in your community. Every week, your host, Kim Bellotto, will visit with the movers and shakers in this fast-paced industry. You'll hear from industry experts, elected officials, and many more right here on In the Oil Patch.